all aboard the love train going deep into deep throat through the tunnel of love into deep conversation about this iconic extremely popular and very controversial film that happened to be also one of the most profitable films of all time for all you capitalists out there and for all you film buffs that like stories it has one (laughs) a funny story about a sexually frustrated woman whose psychiatrist discovers that her clitoris is located in her throat and offers to help her find it with his dick hey It's a comedy, it's a fantasy, and it is a hardcore movie that was showing in 1973 and actually had a lot more story than any other porn film before and helped to spark the sexual revolution, created porno chic, and became really a household name. It served, you might recall, if you're old enough, as the code term for the informant in the Watergate break-in that exposed President Richard Nixon for the common criminal that he was. That's right, Tricky Dick really tried hard to close down Deep Throat. He was a Quaker after all, but Deep Throat closed down Tricky Dick. So it's kind of a cultural phenomenon. And like I said, very controversial. We've been hearing about the controversies. Actually, I've always heard about the controversies, mostly due to the life story of its star, which also became a household name, Linda Lovelace. And the amazing job she did in the film and the tragic abuse that she suffered from her husband, Chuck Trainer. I think most people say that she did suffer abuse from him, but a lot of the other stuff that she talked about, well, it's disputed, we're not sure, but she did get very involved with the anti-porn feminist movement. Although she then posed for Leg Show and seemed to re-embrace her erotic career. Lots of controversy, just in Linda Lovelace alone. And then there was the legal controversy, the obscenity trials that Deep Throat went through. And that was pretty intense, very bad for the people in the film. But also, it was supported by Hollywood stars like Jack Nicholson, like Warren Beatty, in the days before Hollywood kind of turned down its nose at porn, you could say, when there was an understanding, I think, that, hey, it's all movies. I mean, whether you have sex or you simulate sex, it's actors in movies. Now, some of you might recall that I broadcast live from a play about this, and Max, Captain Max, hello there, Captain uh, Max. Hello there, Remember, Dr. we Susie. broadcast from we, we did. the we did. Deep Throat Sex Scandal at the Zephyr Theater back in 2013, and that was, to a great degree, based on Harry Reem's point of view. But now, we're going to go a different route. It is the 50th anniversary of Deep Throat, 
and we are very excited to participate in the commemoration of this landmark film with two LA screenings of the 4K restoration of the director's cut. The director being Gerard Damiano, who is pretty much a household name himself. And we're gonna do a show at the Lemley on June 2nd. That's the Lemley Royal in Westwood. And we're gonna do another screening at the 910 WeHo Center in West Hollywood on June 3rd. And so we're very happy, Captain Max and I, and Unseen Abe. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope everybody here in the room are ready to have here on the show Deep Throat Auteur Director Gerard Damiano's son and daughter, Gerard Damiano Jr. and Christar on the show. Welcome, Gerard Damiano Jr. Or Jerry, I guess. That's what your dad was called? Yes, my father was always Jerry, so I'm Gerard. There was never any confusion. Okay, Gerard. That's what I've been calling you. Yes. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. We've been talking, of course, about presenting the 50th anniversary of this iconic film that your dad made. It does have its controversies, of course, but it's an incredible historic film. And I'm excited to be part of the presentation in L.A. We're going to have talk back sessions after each screening with some stars and some experts. And I'm really thrilled to be a moderator and to have you here on the show to talk about what it was like to grow up with the king of porn who made the most iconic porn movie and one of the most iconic movies of all time. Well, thank you for having me here. Um, we're, my sister and I are very happy to be in California on the tail end of our uh, world tour for the 50th anniversary of Deep Throat. And we want to thank you for uh, all your help and uh, for joining us this weekend. We're really looking forward to the show. Yes, you've been on a world tour. You're kind of in the middle of it. And now you're in L.A., La La Land, the center of movies. Although Deep Throat was made in Florida. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. But first of all, let's just talk about growing up with Jerry as your dad, Gerard Damiano Sr., who interestingly didn't start in porn or in the mob he was a hairdresser which reminds me a little of Warren Beatty in shampoo maybe and a nice catholic guy with a wife and two kids you and your sister were the kids so what was that like that you can remember um well where to begin um I do remember my childhood vividly um, people often ask my sister and I, well, how was your childhood different than other kids? And it's hard for us to really answer that question because we really had nothing to compare it to. Mm. Um, our father was a filmmaker, and we were well aware of that, even as small children. Uh, he was very passionate about what he did, and we were proud of that. Yeah. Now, we knew that he made films for grown-ups, so we were never subjected to hardcore sex as kids. We right. couldn't see his movies. 
Um, but we knew he made movies and he always tried to involve us as much as he could in that when he was location scouting or shooting exteriors or shooting non-sex scenes, he would love to have us on the set or come out on location. And um, that's what brought us to Miami in 1972 during the filming of Deep Throat. Right, 1972 in Miami. Let's kind of set the scene. I think there was like a Super Bowl going on. Um, well, actually, yes. The, uh, the Miami Dolphins that were, um, you know, a new team at the time um, had an undefeated season and were in the Super Bowl. And uh, my father and his crew took advantage of that. So on that Super Bowl Sunday, um, they shot the exteriors um, out on the streets of Miami because it was dead quiet. Everybody was, uh, was home watching the game. So they were able to um, shoot the, the scenes where Linda and Dolly are walking together over the bridge. You know, my, my, um, my father and his crew um, actually didn't have the budget for uh, Dolly tracks to do the Dolly, dolly shot tracking along with oh. them. So they actually used his car and uh you know she put it in neutral and the cameraman was sitting inside wow. and my father and harry reams were behind pushing it to get that shot you know meanwhile everybody in miami was indoors watching tv so i think it's important to note that people might not understand why but the reason being that it was semi-legal back then and your dad and everybody wanted to do it when maybe there wouldn't be a lot of people around um, well, semi-legal, yes. Um, Deep Throat came out at a time when the laws were changing mm-hmm. regarding obscenity, um, pornography. Um, certainly, what they were filming out on the streets of Miami was not um, anything illegal, right. although they might not have had a permit. Oh, okay. And that's always that's always an issue with uh, independent films or back then underground or you know just low-budget films in general. Um, Sometimes people feel it's it's better to, uh, you know, beg forgiveness and uh, ask permission first, or they don't have the money to pay all mm. those fees. They just want to, you know, grab a quick shot spontaneously. Um, but I don't think that, you know, had much to do with it. It's just they were able to um, do the shot without a lot of interference, yeah. um, without a lot of noise. There wasn't a lot of cars on the street on that day. But also at that time, hardly anybody was making real movies with stories with porn. They were making loops for people to look at in what they call bookstores. Yes, well, that's that's very true. Although there was, um, you know, a, a industry of uh, exploitation, sexploitation films, um, films that often had very strong sexual themes, mm. you know, adult themes, but, you know, never really showed penetration. Yeah. Um, you know, they were sex movies basically without the, the sex in them. Um, <laughs> right. But this had sex and there was a lot of sex being shot in these loops. I mean, we have a old late friend Lassie Braun who used to shoot a lot of loops in Europe mainly and his son no, actually here and here for oh, the okay. mafia when when the loop machines were invented and I forget the, the mafia guy's name uh, Lassie did the first loops okay and they were very comical and uh, very hot and sexy too like Camille Paglia said, sex is a comedy, not a tragedy. For the most part, though there are tragedies, we're going to get to the tragedies soon, but 
there's a lot more comedy in sex and people enjoy it for the most part not always but this was a very enjoyable film it was not Anna Karenina but it was <laughs> funny and it had a plot and very hardcore and created this phenomenon they called it porno chic where middle class regular people that now are very anti-porn and censor us all the time. They have jobs at YouTube and they program the bots that censor us. But in any case, at that time, this window of time, all these celebrities were embracing Deep Throat, like Truman Capote, Jack Nicholson, Johnny Carson, Frank Sinatra. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to 1972 in Florida with this couple, Chuck and Linda. Tell us about them. Um, well, Chuck and Linda came to New York looking for work in uh, ni- around 1971. And um, that's when they met my father. Now, you know, Chuck and Linda were married. He was his manager and presented himself as such. He came into my father's office and he did all the talking. Um, and my father at the time was... Um, was looking for people to uh, perform Mm -hmm. in um, what would, I mean, I wouldn't call it a loop, but they were shooting inserts um, Mm -hmm. because my father had made a number of films and now the laws were changing a bit. Now, his films were softcore. These were, you know, again, exploitation films, you would call them, because um, there was a lot of sex, but you couldn't really see the penetration. So because, you know, the laws had started to shift, and now there was a market for, you know, hardcore films in, in New York. Um, and when I say there was a market, there's a fine line. Now, the film, all films, are protected under the First Amendment, um, freedom of expression, mm-hmm. unless they're considered to be obscene, mm-hmm. because the First Amendment does not cover obscenity. So at that time, there were a lot of films that were being made, and I would say a lot, a handful of films that were being made um, that were trying to come as close to the line as you could or across it and hope that uh, the films would be considered um, to have socially redeeming value. Now, if a film was thought to have socially redeeming value, it was not obscene and therefore protected. Mm-hmm. So that gave birth to uh, the genre of films called the white coders, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Sounds um, like some doctor film. <laughs> well, that's pretty much what it is. That the films would open up with a man in a white coat, okay. you know, lab coat, pres- presumably a doctor, mm-hmm. who would talk about, you know, sexual deviation or a healthy marriage is based on blah 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 blah, and then cut to the sex. Oh yeah. And so because yeah, it sounds like what was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show that they kind of made fun of that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, even Deep Throat itself makes fun of that genre yeah. because you know, again, just having a guy in a white coat and you know throwing out some legal or some medical terms and so mm-hmm. forth and pr- approach the subject in more of a clinical way it gave the film an air of um say it was educational mm-hmm. or you know even a, as a medical film it could you know help and heal you know uh, save your marriage like that so there were a number of films being shot in that way that were then 
considered to have that, again, socially redeeming value and weren't busted. Wow, I could have had a job doing that if I was around back then. Anyway. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, so when my, my father met Chuck and Linda, they actually had come up, you know, up to his office looking for work. And so my father, you know, looked at Linda. He was really charmed by her, her just sweetness. You know, he really mm-hmm. thought that she was very different than what later would be, you know, the, the stereotype of a porn star. Yeah. You know, she, he thought that she looked like the girl next door. So mm-hmm. he hired her to um, perform in the shot, um, or to perform the scene. Mm-hmm. And he, he told me this was like on a Tuesday and they were filming on a Thursday. So he told, you know, Linda and Chuck to come back on Thursday and, you know, to do the scene. And so they actually had put together kind of a little spoof on the white coat or a little, you know, doctor and nurse scene. And um, Harry Reams, who would later, mm-hmm. you know, play in, uh, in Deep Throat, um, was there. And um, when they started to get into the scene, and when I say the scene, this isn't an actual film. This was just a, a, a sex scene, basically, with costume. <laughs> um, you know, Linda dressed as a nurse. Um, Harry Reams was ailing, and she was there to, to heal him. Um, and so in that, you know, while they were filming... When she started to go down on him, my father yelled, cut, (laughs) stop the camera. Everybody on the crew was looking at each other. They couldn't believe what they saw, this this vacuum cleaner, petite, timid, you know, relatively shy um, young woman was just doing a disappearing act (laughs) with uh, with Harry Reams' member. And they couldn't believe it. So my father said, cut, cut, cut said, I don't want to throw this away on, you know, this other film, this one loop. Um, I can make a whole movie about this. Mm. And so he went home and, you know, on his on the drive home, going across the 59th Street Bridge back to Queens, he got the inspiration for Deep Throat. He went home and wrote it over the weekend and then brought it back into the office on Monday morning and uh, pitched it to um, the producers of uh, Damiano Films. Wow. And history was begun. So your sister is in the room. Hello, Christar. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Welcome Hi there. to the love train, FDR. We're going through <laughs> the tunnel of love, deep talk about are. deep throat. How do I sound? Do I sound okay? Yeah. Yeah. You sound okay, good. Perfect. Good, yeah. good. All right. So what's it like to be the daughter of... Jerry Damiano and the sister of Gerard. Yes, well, um, like Gerard said, we didn't really know any different. You know, our Mm -hmm. childhood was just um, ordinary for us. You know, it was just another day at the office for our dad. We just got to, you know, rub elbows with the stars and the celebrities. And I just remember as a kid being on set and having like the the women, the porn stars, like mm, brushing my hair and playing with makeup. And it was just fun for a little girl. I was like seven years old. Um, Again, like Gerard said, we were never exposed to any hardcore sex. So we knew something for the adults was Mm -hmm. happening. And and we wanted to know what that was, but we just knew that it was something that we weren't allowed to see. Right. And you seem to have grown up 
fairly, I don't know, I hesitate to use the word normal. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're normal. But certainly you're a very, I'm not going to say average either, but certainly not someone that you would think was born into porn. Sure, sure. Well, I think when I became a teenager and, and started to, like, you know, peak my sexuality, I, mm-hmm. it wasn't something information that I gave to people willingly. Like I didn't say, hey, guess what? My dad is the king of porn. It was something that I wanted, not that we were embarrassed or ashamed. I just wanted people to get to know me for who Mm -hmm. I was and get, you know, them to become friends with me for, for me and not because I was the daughter of so um, it, it was almost like I had this alter ego personality that I, it was just me. I was just, you know, Chris yeah. Starr. And, um, and so then later on, once I became friends with people and, and created a trust with them, then it came out, you know, hey, guess what? You know, or, or somebody would say to them, you know, do you know who they are? Or do you really know who their dad was? And it kind of came out that way. It wasn't information that I, you know, was readily available but when people found out, they thought it was cool, you know, and they liked me for who I was. And then also because I was the daughter and then the son of Gerard Damiano. Well, good for you, because it is challenging, I think, to grow up as the son and daughter of any kind of Hollywood people, movie people, certainly of porn movie people. And in fact, I think there are support groups for that sort of thing if you're the children of porn people you can go to a support group but you were probably ahead of that time so you had to work it out for yourselves and you both seem to have worked it out sure well i have my own career i became a massage therapist and a sound healer and i was a performance artist and i did aerial acrobatics so I just became my own person. Uh, I was, you know, never did anything porn or never became a stripper or anything like that, even though, you know. <laughs> Although you I are in the have. healing arts and massage. I'm in the healing arts, yeah. right. And but I never you, took Gerard? my clothes off to do that. <laughs> um, well, I actually had a long career in porn. Oh. Um, you know, I grew up on the set. Uh-huh. I grew up on the set with my dad. You know, I... I learned filmmaking, you know, by his side. And I always just, you know, kind of took for granted that I would follow in his footsteps and make movies too. Mm-hmm. Now, um, but by the time I was, um, you know, old enough to then start working on my own, you know, I worked as a, a PA and assistant to the right. director um, with my father. Late At the end of his career, he made films for um, Italian producers and I had lived in Italy by that time and learned to speak Italian fluently. So I was able to translate, um, you know, his direction to the actors and actresses and like that. Um, but then when I started, you know, writing and directing myself, this is when um, the advent of a videotape happened. Mm-hmm. And there was a right. real gold rush at that time and a lot of productions happening. Um, and uh, so I worked on, you know, quite a, quite a few films. There was a lot of work um, in New York at that time. Um, 
So I worked in what I would call the art director slash boo man school of filmmaking and that uh, these were low budget productions. Everybody on a small production is doing, you know, multiple roles. And so I would hold a boom during the filming. So when cameras are rolling, um, but as soon as the director would yell cut, I'd drop the boom and then be on the next set painting the, the background, painting the scenery, making the set. And then it was time to roll, pick up the boom. So I was always working. It's either, you know, while we're rolling or getting ready for the next, the next take. Um, so um, I did then write, direct, um, edit a number of films. Um, I worked for Vidway in New York uh, when Heather Hunter was just started to make films. So I made a number of films with her. And, um, you know, after a while, I got a little disillusioned, not with mm. the content of the films, but just with the quality. Mm. Because now films were being made so quickly and so cheaply. Right. You know, my, and my father at the time, he, this was at the end of his career, he was getting disillusioned as well because he had, you know, shot 35 millimeter films and it shot for a week or more and with, you know, relatively large budgets and talented cast and crew. He made The Devil and Miss Jones and different movies that had even more of a plot and acting chops. Yeah, so it was hard for him to go back to, um, to shoot these really low-budget um, productions, which um, we all, at the time, called uh, One Day Wonders, because mm-hmm. you literally shoot a whole movie in a day. It is funny how it's gone back to that now, basically when things went to video and then especially with the internet. It started with loops, then it went into real movies, and then it's sort of back to loops now. Or not loops, but clips. Yes, yeah, so, um, you know, after that, I still worked on other productions for a while, but, you know, it took some of the fun out of it because, mm-hmm. you know, again, not that I ever had a problem with the subject matter itself. It was just the quality I feel of you. the production yeah. at the end. You know, it's like, you know, and, and of course, having worked with my dad and worked on... Um, productions where people were really excited to work with him and felt yes. like this was a milestone in their careers to to work on a film with him and they took it all seriously you know and then by the you know late 80s mid 90s there was a, f- a full adult film industry that didn't exist when right. my father first started making films i mean there wasn't you know you you couldn't have a career as a porn star he was a pioneer yeah yeah later that became a thing you know, but then it was, you know, um, actors, actresses that were really extending what they could do with acting, you know, by having sex on camera, staying in character, you know, doing their lines and, and like that. Um, later, it became, you know, different kind of thing. There were, you know, I remember there was a lot of strippers that wanted to be in porn movies because then they would become featured dancers. It was a career move for them. Because, of course, with porn, there, you know, there's really not porn actors and actresses in that you make one film and you're a porn star. <laughs> you know, there's nothing in between. It's like you've never done porn or you're a star. You know, there's not just a, an actor or what, or what have you. So, um, you know, it really changed the dynamic of, of making films. Absolutely. So we have some questions, but I think one that really jumps out is from... A gentleman named Dee's Nuts, who says the First Amendment doesn't cover obscenity. And after all, his name is kind of obscene, so I can understand why he would be concerned about this. 
well, yes, and that's um, and that's really what came up in the courtroom mm-hmm. because Deep Throat was on trial, but ultimately it was the notion of obscenity that was on trial. Right. What is obscenity? Or what is obscene and who gets to decide it? And this, you know, there were court cases that sprung up all over the country and then ultimately to the Supreme Court where finally, you know, they decided that it was based on community standards. In other words, mm-hmm. you couldn't in America make a law or make a, a ruling of what was obscene that would cover the entire nation. Because, you know, what happened every day in New York City might be considered obscene in Alabama or in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, what's par for the course in, in San Francisco or in Key West or in Provincetown, you know, might might have the, the peasants out with, uh, you know, with torches and pitchforks in Nebraska or whatever. So you couldn't just make a law for the whole country. It was left up to community standards. And then things got even more crazy after that um, because then you had um, situations where Deep Throat would be banned in one county, but just across the river, it was playing in theaters. Mm -hmm. So then you had, you know, people lined up around the block to go see it, people crossing state lines to see the movie, you know, and it really created, it helped to to fan the flames of this phenomenon of Deep Throat, that everybody wanted to see the movie that you weren't allowed to see. Right, but you were in certain theaters. And I remember I saw it in a big theater in New Haven, and I imagine there were people coming from Rhode Island or, I don't know, places where they couldn't see it. There was a long line. And the uh, community standards, was that the Miller decision? By Stanley Fleshman? This was uh, Miller uh, yeah. versus the state of California, I believe. Yeah, that, 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 that was my lawyer. That was his lawyer. Uh-huh. Uh, Stanley Fleshman, who was one of the great First Amendment lawyers and defended me against 24 prosecutions, uh, lost that case in the United States Supreme Court. And then it became that every county, every state, every they had their own standards. Uh, which of course is not great for commerce. So kind of confusing, <laughs> right? It was kind of good for Deep Throat at first. It was because it got people very excited seeing these long lines, and I remember that feeling. And I really had no idea what it was, but it was a date movie that a lot of people I knew were going to, and I went to see it. And I was a sexually open-minded. 18 or 19 year old and I was on a date with someone I'd had sex with but oh my god I was shocked <laughs> shock and all with no casualties I'd never seen genitalia that close with the lights on you know I'd been doing it in the dark so I mean I know we were making fun of the whole thing with the doctor and the white coat but there is something sex educational about almost any porn movie it's like you're seeing something that you don't usually look at and maybe it's not always the way it should be or the way it is, but it's something to see. By the way, that white coat thing uh, still exists. It exists. Uh, I think that's my job. With, <laughs> with, with sex toy companies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, ex- it still exists. It's still oh, yeah. uh, somebody comes out uh, and says, oh, this is good for this. this is good and good for is, you. Yeah, this is good for you. And, uh, and you know what? Okay. It is, yeah, for the most part. Is. Of course, yeah. there's the bad, and we're going to talk about that. But for the most part, sex heals a billion times more than it kills. A movie that kind of celebrates sex, even if it is 
a fantasy, but it was about a woman's search for her pleasure. Yeah, women don't have a clitoris in the back of our throat, and you know, you're more likely to choke us than give us an orgasm by shoving it down <laughs> there. But she had a unique talent, and, and just the idea that a woman's pleasure was important was very significant, which reminds me of the first joke of Deep Throat, which I love. Mind if I smoke while you're eating? says Dolly Sharp while her legs are spread open and then this guy's going down on her and she takes a smoke and it's very funny that sort of disarmed me when I saw that and then of course you see the genitalia and it's like oh my god and all of that was very hairy now of course Linda Lovelace was shaved (laughs) but the hair the amount of foliage was just so incredible to see. I'll never forget it. Well, um, since you brought that up, you know, I'd like to say that um, one of the the great, you know, I'd say joys of showing the film now, and we're throwing, we've been showing it for a year. We've been celebrating the 50th anniversary of the film. So we started on June 12th of 2022, which was the 50th anniversary of the day that the film premiered at the New World Theater on 49th Street in New York. Wow. So we we had a, um, a premiere in New York. We showed our restored version. And since then, we've taken it around the world. We've been in, in six countries. And um, one of the most revolutionary things about Deep Throat is, you know, as you mentioned before, um, but I think it bears noting, is the fact that it got people, and by people I mean women and mm-hmm. couples, into the theater. Now, in New York City... You know, we're talking about 42nd Street. You know, people might be familiar with the series The Deuce. You know, we would have said 40 Deuce or, you know, Times Square area, which was like the red light district. Right. It wasn't the white coats. It was the raincoats. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. The rain, the raincoat crowd. And, you know, women wouldn't have feel comfortable going there no, alone. No, of you know, course prior not. to to um, the release of Deep Throat. And so suddenly it was a date film. As you yourself said, you went on the date. So couples were going to the, the theaters and so forth. And seeing the, the, a film, an adult film, in a theatrical, in a communal setting, mm-hmm. which was very novel, which was right. very new in 1972. And now, 50 years later, it still is new. Right. Because most porn is consumed, you know, on a smartphone under the covers or, yeah. you know, a couple or, or whatever group, group in, you know, like that. Um, but to just go out in public... And you never knew if, you know, maybe there'd be a celebrity in the audience or maybe you see your, you know, your teacher or the postman or you never knew who you would run into. But you would watch the movie together. If a joke landed, everybody would laugh and and like that. It's very different than just watching something on your own. Yes. And so we were very, you know, my sister and I in, in traveling and showing this film, you know, we we thought that our father would be proud to know that. A lot of those corny jokes from 50 years ago were still landing. People laugh and thought that was hilarious. Yeah. You know, that line, do you mind I if I that. smoke while you're eating, <laughs> you know, still gets a laugh. Now, in, when we were in Italy, we, you know, had subtitle version. So when it was first shown um, in Italy, we were at the uh, Cinema Ritrovato Festival um, in Bologna, which was... Again, an honor. Our father would have been Ooh. honored because this is a world festival of film restoration in and Italy. film preservation. Right. So this is, you know, the best films not only from around the world, but from throughout history. Um, so, you know, it's a, 
week long, but they show films all summer long in the main piazza. And we show the film alongside um, Nanook of the North that was celebrating its 100th anniversary. And they showed Singing in the Rain and Nosferatu with the, the full Bologna Symphony Orchestra playing the score live. Ooh. And they showed Deep Throat. Wow. So, you know, again, our father would have loved that yeah. because he was someone who was so passionate about film and filmmaking. And to just be on the same program with all those great, great films and to be showing his film to people that really appreciate cinema and are really focused on the preservation of film. Mm -hmm. You know, and not just movies, but actual film because, you know, things are different now with digital. But totally. when you were shooting on film, you know, a film is almost like having a puppy or something in that sure. it, it requires a lot of attention. Yes. You can't just, you know, shoot a film and then, you know, shove it under your bed. It needs to be preserved, Nurtured. climate control, you know, humidity, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the um, humidity has to be at a certain, you know, 35% to 50% and like that, you have to maintain it. Otherwise, the film starts to deteriorate. So, you know, when we showed the film in Bologna and, you know, they added subtitles, we, we saw that that, the joke didn't really come across in Italian. <laughs> Uh, the, you know, we, my sister and I both speak Italian, and but the way they translated, do you mind if I smoke while you're eating? Yeah. Was, do you mind if I smoke while you continue? Oh. And we were looking at each other like, that's not, that's, that's not, not funny, funny no. you know. So, so we, you know, the, we showed the film again in Italy, but this time, you know, we were able to get different subtitles and then start to get into the subtitle, you know, uh, uh, file and start to edit it and, and fix it. So we were trying to um, to fix this. So we changed it back to, do you mind if I smoke while you're eating? But in Italy, again, no laugh. <laughs> because in, in Italy, they don't use that expression. So if you say, while I'm eating, they don't say like eating me out or eating you out or like that. For cunnilingus. It's like cannibalism uh, to them, you know, while you're eating, oh no. So no, again, nobody laughs. So. You know, we tried different variations, which again, it was lost in translation due to the culture. Yeah, that's... Now, finally, we showed the, we showed the film um, in Torino as guests of the, the National Museum of Cinema, which again, we were honored in Italy just to be, you know, recognized with that, with our father's film as a cinema. Great. And we were brought there by um, the founder of the Fish and Chips Festival. Now, Fish and Chips in Italy, we didn't realize is a euphemism. Is that for some reason, you know, they use the, the, the symbol of the fish to mean penis. And potato as vagina. Ooh. How that, that came about, I have no idea. <laughs> but it was then suggested to us when we were in Torino, again, trying to tweak the, the, um, the subtitles so that they were more true to what our father's intention was, that they recommended that we change the line to be, do you mind if I smoke while you lick my potato? Okay. <laughs> and so, which is, is way out there. I mean, we had, we tried it and again, it still didn't quite get yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and, you usually know, lick a potato. Some things, yeah, some things just don't translate. That's true for any film, I think, or <laughs> any kind of language translation. You've got problems with that. But one thing that I realized in seeing it again recently, because I'm looking at it now 
since we're going to be doing these panels afterwards, is I always wondered where Justice Clarence Thomas, I should say injustice, but I don't want to get too political right now, but I always wondered where he got this idea of pubic hair on the Coke can that was said over and over again at his hearings uh, with Anita Hill. She said, he said, who put pubic hair on the Coke can? I thought, where does that come from? Where possibly? But then she said he was a fan of long dong silver. And now I realize he must have been a fan of Deep Throat because there's a scene in which a guy pours Coca-Cola on his and her pubic region she of course is shaved so it wouldn't be her pubic hair but his pubic hair could have gotten on the coke can and it's this whole scene and i realized this is in justice clarence thomas's mind (laughs) maybe all the time quite a interesting scene that is where they're drinking it out of this long tube like it is some sort of medical procedure (laughs) we're talking about women And in many ways, this was a breakthrough for women, especially women like myself, who were feminists back then, but kind of pro-sex feminists. I was into Betty Dodson. I read her book, and that's how I learned how to have an orgasm, is through reading a book by Betty Dodson. (laughs) But there was another wing of feminism that was just coming up, and it was very anti-porn, and I would even say anti-sex. Andrea Dworkin and Catherine McKinnon were leaders, and Linda Lovelace got involved with them. And Linda had a problematic life. She was a big star. She seems like she had a lot of wonderful moments in her life when you look at pictures of her, when you look at her in films or news. But she was beaten. She was abused by her husband, who she was also very involved with. And she seemed to have had a kind of push-pull, love-hate relationship with her whole life, including how her mother raised her, also with abuse. And perhaps religion made some marks on her. But certainly she was a problematic character. It wasn't really her fault. It was just this was her destiny. She never said abuse occurred by anybody involved with the staff or the cast of Deep Throat, but there is a lot of controversy in relation to that film since it is what made her famous. And she joined forces with Catherine McKinnon, wrote this book, Ordeal, and spoke out against porn in general. Yes, well, Linda... Linda Lovelace's story is a very complex and complicated one, and she definitely have a, had a rough go of it, mm-hmm. um, by all accounts. Um, but her abuse was really at the hands of her husband, yeah. more of a case of domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And for many people that aren't familiar with the whole story, it's very easy to point a finger at pornography. You know, people like to, to pin it all on, on porn. Mm-hmm. They, nothing, none of this would have happened to her you know, had she not been involved in porn, but actually... They want to pin it on porn. They want to discredit porn and all the good that it's done for couples, men, women, and uh, and humanity, in essence. Anything that we can blame porn for, they love to do. 
<laughs> well, some people are very uncomfortable with sex in general and their own sexuality in particular. So, you know, it, anything with sex in it gets people riled up. But in Linda's particular case, it was very easy for people to jump to conclusions when they heard the stories of abuse and they immediately thought, well, of course, she was abused because she didn't want to be in porn and she was beaten to force her to make the film. When actually, her true story was the opposite of that, is that when she met my father, you know, what she brought to the production was the sex, not just the sex, her technique, mm -hmm. but her attitude about it. She was such a free spirit. She was so um, sex positive. You know, and if you see interviews um, with her at the time or read what she had to say at the time, she was talking about sexual freedom and sexual liberation and freedom from guilt and all of those things. Now, mm -hmm. she had been in a number of films prior to Deep Throat, but these were more, you know, we talk about loops. I don't know if every, anybody, you know, all your listeners know what a loop is, but these are like mm -hmm. the peep show movies where the, the head of the film is attached to the tail, so it's like an endless loop and runs, you put a quarter in the machine, you get to see a few seconds of it, and then it closes, you gotta put another quarter in, like that. So loops were actually made from, um, you know, stag films, they were called, these little silent movies. Now she had made a bunch of those with her husband, with acts far more heinous than anything that you would see in Deep Throat. So when she met my father, she had been prostituted by her husband and mm -hmm. you know abused tremendously and by all accounts um however you know when my father met her he met her as someone auditioning for a role in the film which she was very enthusiastic about but also um very surprised when she was cast because my father again he saw what she could do and it wasn't just the you know the clinical technique it was you know from this very sweet, charming, you know, innocent um, young woman who it, it was like, you know, the librarian who, you know, you don't realize so she takes her glasses off, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> My father described her as the girl next door. So he, you know, wrote this, this film for her and even in her third book. Now it bears noting that she actually had four autobiographies which were in reality written by men, every one of them. They weren't actually written by her, although it's first person. Mm -hmm. Now, her first book, um, Inside Linda Lovelace, was arguably actually written by her husband, her abuser. Now, Chuck, speaking of her husband, strikes me as a cuckold. I mean, he was an abuser for sure, but he seemed to like to watch her with other men, although, he was also jealous, so he wasn't a very good cuckold. And there's nothing wrong with being a cuckold, the kind of guy that might like to watch his girlfriend or wife with another man, but be cool about it. Don't blame the woman, and certainly don't be an abuser about it. And if you can't handle it, don't do it. A little bit of sex advice out there to the cuckolds. <laughs> Well, I mean, personally, I, I couldn't even begin to understand his mindset or where he was coming from. In other words, whether he enjoyed it or not, whether he enjoyed watching his wife with another man. I don't know that, but I know that he enjoyed profiting off of that. Mm -hmm. And that came out later. 
Yeah. You know, this was something that my father, the crew, they didn't know the history of Chuck and Linda. They knew here was the star of the movie with her manager. Mm -hmm. And she was very happy to be there. Yeah. The thing that most people jump on, again, when I say most people, most people that haven't seen the film but heard some of the stories of abuse, they jumped to the conclusion that, again, she didn't want to do the movie and, you know, she had a gun held to her head to force her. That's not true. Right. What happened, what, what happened on the set of, of Deep Throat was that, again, Linda was perfectly comfortable with the sex. It was the acting that she had to take time with because she'd never really been in a big production and now she's the star of the show. But she writes in her book, Ordeal, which, you know, accounts the horrors of her marriage with Chuck. But she really never says anything bad about my father right. or about the crew because she found a safe space on the set of Deep Throat. Actually, she did. Yeah. Because there's always, you know, when you're working on a, a production, even though it was a small, relatively low budget, you're still always eight people in the room, okay? You still got an entire crew from, you know, the sound man to you know continuity person etc there's she was never really alone the abuse that she suffered during the shoot was only behind closed and locked doors right. at the hand of her husband and it wasn't because she didn't want to do the film on the contrary it was because she was having too much fun with it now he was there yeah that's why i say he was kind of a jealous cuckold yeah and yes i think it is important to say and you've read all the books I've read here and there but she never says she was abused on the set it's always by her husband he did have a gun but it's not like he held a gun to her head to make her do the movie no and you know as for the gun what happened between you know a man and wife behind closed doors who knows we can only guess but there was never an actual gun on the set no one on the crew ever saw a gun or threats or any of that. Well, that's true. You don't know what actually happened, but that is what she said in one of her books, that he did that. So. Yeah, but I mean, it didn't happen out in the open. And again, that's right. what people jump to that conclusion, as if the entire crew was conspiring to abuse this woman and record it. Yes. You know, that's not that's the story of Deep Throat at all. No, but as there. Max said, that is what people will grab if they are anti-porn. They will grab this woman's story of abuse at the hand of her husband, and they will say that it's the fault of porn, and that's why we shouldn't have porn. Sure, but what happened on the set of Deep Throat, you know, and this comes, we were kids. My sister and I, we were there, but, you know, we were too young to understand the whole dynamic of this. We do remember the night that, um, that Chuck was beating up Linda in the next room, oh. which was traumatic. Oh, I bet. It was traumatic for us as kids. You know, we didn't yeah. know what was going on. There was pounding on the wall. A couple of the crew, the crew members ran into our room because we were staying, all staying at the location, which was the Voyager Inn Motel down in, in North Miami Beach. Um, and... Uh, so they came in and tried to break the door down between the two rooms, at which point, you know, our mother took us out of there. You know, this is the middle of the night. Took us out of there. There was a little diner that was part of the um, part of the hotel complex, and we went in there. So, you know, we didn't know what was going on. It was only years later when I was old enough that my father told me the story about what happened. And after that night, Linda came to him and said, I'm not going to be able to do the big scene. My uh -huh. husband is so jealous 
he's not going to let me do it. I, I don't know what, what I'm going to do. And he said, well, we'll think of something. And so what, what he did was they gave Chuck a, a mission. <laughs> they said, we're running out of film stock. We need somebody to go across town and get some film. So they sent Chuck away. And as soon as he was gone, she was able to relax and do the scene. Mm. Now, her husband, she said, you know, he's so jealous. He was jealous of Harry Reams yeah. because she kind of had a crush on him. And, you know, he was a handsome guy and really charming and really funny. But also, and this is my opinion, just knowing all the facts of what, what happened, I think he was jealous because she was getting out from under his control. Sure. Because when she came to Miami, she was the star of the movie. He was just in the way. And so everybody was focused on her. They were asking him to, you know, please step back, please, you know, stand aside. And I think he was getting jealous because of that. Now, after the, the film was, was over and became this huge success, she was you know, catapulted into stardom. No one on the crew, the cat, my father, nobody dreamed what a success this movie would be. Mm -hmm. And it was unprecedented. Linda became the first porn star mm -hmm. ever. You know, shortly, a few months later, there's Marilyn Chambers. Um, but still, this was all brand new. Right. And so, with that celebrity... And then later, Annie Sprinkle, our friend Annie, who was actually your dad's girlfriend for a while. Yes, we love Annie. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole story in and of itself. Okay. And that's related to, to Deep Throat as, as well. Yeah, I um, lived with Annie Sprinkle in a beautiful villa on top of an Italian mountain, the magical mountain of uh, San Felice Cisteo. Ooh. Uh, now that sounds like a fantasy. Yes, Max has lived a great <laughs> fantasy life in a way, and he's also from Italy, so there's a lot in common there. But I want to address something that I see that people are talking about in the chat because I think this is something everyone can relate to, which we mentioned almost in passing, which is that nowadays everybody watches porn on a little phone with someone they're gonna have sex with or by themselves. And this was a different kind of experience. And this one gentleman here, a hybrid bonobo, who called in before, maybe I'm too young, but the idea of watching people fuck as part of a large audience instead of alone or with just a sexual partner seems strange. A bunch of people together, likely very sexually aroused, but not getting off sounds like almost an orgy. Seems very sexually frustrating. But then I know porn theaters used to be a thing too. And let me tell you, hybrid bonobo, it doesn't have to be frustrating it's like foreplay it's like a date in which you go out and you do things and then you have sex later and one of the things you do is you watch people having sex on a screen and no you don't sit there and have sex during the movie by the way that happens during regular movies that people might have sex oh, during the movie the masturbate. well yeah, yeah that's true too but porn is blamed. That's a whole other thing that people do have sex in the movies anyway. But I think what he's saying is the strangeness of this experience of watching yeah, yeah, porn yeah, yeah, in a yeah. large group with people who aren't having sex with you. And I, as a sex therapist, think it's a great experience for us to share some level of communal 
sexuality. And I personally don't want to have sex with everybody in the room, too many cooties. <laughs> but I like the idea of us having this communal experience where we're all getting this sex image and it's a different experience for the modern generation it only happened actually for a few years in history and those were these years in the 70s really then things went to video and it was back into your private home and yes of course sex for the most part should be private although there's a part of me that wants to go back to the roman orgies but Certainly watching sex shouldn't be something that should only be private. Well, the wonderful thing that's happened through the technology and through the work of your father and through the work uh, of a lot of the uh, revolutionary sexualists uh, is that now everybody makes porn films. Well, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's doing something in their house with on their, their phones. phones. On their yeah, phones. Absolutely. And it's wonderful. And it's, it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it is a great thing that everybody can do it. You can all make your own porn film and watch yourself. It's a great thing. But it's a different thing. It's different than real film. Like you say, the film was something you need to nurture and take care of. And it's different than a communal experience of watching in a movie theater, which in general is going out of style. Now, by the way, we're going to have this communal experience in a movie theater. Yes. And even though it's the end of masturbation month, or you could say the climax, do not masturbate <laughs> at the Lemley, okay? Yeah, please. Really, please don't. Okay, but do it later. Consider it foreplay. <laughs> so this was a period of time, an interesting period. The sexual revolution was certainly at the center of it. Porno chic and the Watergate hearings were going on right afterwards, which is why they called the informer deep throat it's just an amazing vortex surrounding this film you know what i think is really funny ha having been doing this work for many years by the way the la star which i used to publish back in the 70s was a great supporter of your dad and the yeah. film and, and behind the green all of it you know uh <laughs> We are a bunch of great perverts and journalists. But uh, one of the things that I, you know, we always talk about, what is porn? And after many years of thinking about it, porn is when there's a camera there. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, we're doing the same. We're doing it without the cameras. And now you don't even need a camera. You just need a phone. It's exciting to be part of this history. And we're going to do the first show at the Lemley. And that's in Westwood. And do I understand that a very famous porn star is going to be there? Um, yes. Well, actually, we have um, a couple of porn stars that will join us on the panel. And um, we've invited a few that might just join us in the audience. Okay. But we will have uh, Nina Hartley. Nina Hartley. Right, who Nina. Is, is still not only lovely and beautiful and very eloquent and well-spoken about these themes of sex positivity yes. but she is someone who i met many many years ago when she was just starting out and she was working with my father yes you know he was at the end of his career she was just starting hers and so um they they you know passed like ships in the night did they and make so a movie was, together um they made i believe five movies oh. together any names you remember 
yes, they're very memorable names. Okay. <laughs> one, uh, one of the films that, you know, and I worked on all these films because this happened again at the end of my father's career. So um, this is when he had moved out to California and was shooting these shot on video features. Now, because he was who he was, he was able to help hold out for a little more money. So he wasn't shooting one day wonders per se, but still he might have had three days to shoot two movies, okay? Or he'd shoot mm -hmm. a movie and they cut it up into two pieces and release it as part one and part two. So um, one of the films that I worked on was called um, Young Girls in Tight Jeans and Deep Trouble <laughs> was the title. And that was the first, I believe, that, Lin that, uh, that Nina Hartley played in. Now this was originally titled Catholic High School Girls in Tight Jeans and Deep Trouble. But you know, back then, and even now, people were so afraid of getting busted that you couldn't even use the word teen mm. in the title or in the film. Um, you know, enough to say 18 and over, okay? Right. But you couldn't even allude to, so they had to change the title to be Young Girls, okay? Which was, was legal Barely to say. legal. Um, and another film that Nina was in with my father, um, you know, that my father directed her, um, was titled um, Splendor in the Ass. Oh, yeah. Now, wasn't it Warren Beatty <laughs> that was in the movie Splendor in the Grass? Uh, might, might have been. So this was, this was a film, you know, my, my father told me the story of, you know, and I can't remember the, the production company. There was a handful um, on, on the West Coast at the time that he was working for, but it was a producer who said, Jerry, I got a great, a great title for you. I got this great title. I want to make a movie called Splendor in the Ass. <laughs> and my father just burst out laughing. He just thought that was hilarious. Well, so he said, okay. It's pretty funny. So that's what he had. He said, do whatever you want, but you got to call it Splendor in the Ass. <laughs> he did have some great titles there. So. But, um, but when he met, met Nina, he just fell in love with her. Of course. Because she had such great energy. I mean, she's beautiful, but she, she had such great energy and was was a fine actress even though she wasn't really there as an actress you know there's right you know, all the, the the let's say performers that i've met over the years some who chris Starr and i knew when we were little kids others who i worked with later and have become friends with and you know some people we've we've kept in touch with all these years like annie sprinkle you know is a very very dear friend um but they really fall into two categories and that is the actors, the actresses mm -hmm. that studied acting, that, that aspire to be actors. And that, you know, again, like say Georgina Spelvin, uh -huh. who had a full career. She was on Broadway, off Broadway. She was a dancer. She had a lot of experience before she pushed the limits of what she could do as an actress by being in Devil and Miss Jones and some other... Right you know, adult films where she actually had sex, but had sex in character as, you know, as part of her role. And Dolly Sharp, who was in the beginning, she's the mind if I smoke when you're eating yes. actress in Deep Throat. She had been a Broadway performer before. Oh, she has a, a, a long and rich history. She had been in, in Hollywood movies. She, you know, and was contract to the studios. She was on Ed Sullivan's show. Wow. She was, you know, a, a violinist, you know, and a dancer, and very disciplined and very professional. Helen Wood and, was her name. Yes, yes, Helen Wood. So, so that's that's one category. 
But then the other category is people like Nina Hartley. Yeah, who like sex. We're just so turned on yeah. by the idea of having sex in front of the camera. People who are exhibitionists, right. who are really in it for the sex. You know, there's actor, uh, you know, actor like Jamie Gillis, for example, who was one of the most powerful actors of, of the golden age of porn. Male actors, yeah. but he really did it for the thrill. I mean, yes, he was a good actor too, but that was his lifestyle. <laughs> You know, there were then, you know, like Annie Sprinkle is another example where she never really considered herself an actress, although she did act yeah. and perform, you know, have to deliver lines and so forth. But she was turned on by the idea of being in, in adult films. Um, so, so Nina will be joining us. Great. And um, also um, someone who I would say comes from the other camp, um, Herschel Savage, oh. who yeah. he's an, uh, an actor of the golden age of porn. Debbie Does Dallas. Yes, who was in Debbie Does Dallas, who was in, you know, a handful of movies with, with my father. Who, he really liked Herschel because he was a fine actor because this was somebody who studied acting. I mean, he studied with Uta Hagen and, and studied with uh, Stella Adler. And these are names that, that actors take seriously. Um, and I don't think he set out to be a porn star, but... You know, he was was at the right place at the right time, and he was getting work. And you know, if you have the right attitude, what could be better than that? You're having you know sex with beautiful women mm -hmm. and getting paid for it. <laughs> and so, uh, Herschel Savage will be joining us um, at the Lemley right. as well. I'm glad that that's all coming together. And so, the Lemley should be very exciting on. June 2nd, Friday night, uh, get there 9.30ish, the screening starts at 10, right? Yes, there'll be a red carpet, um, and so we'd, we'd love for everybody to join us um, in front of the theater oh, yeah. before showtime, um, enjoy the show, and then stay for the talk back, and you'll get to hear from Nina Hartley, Herschel Savage, my sister and myself in person. And me. You better stay for the talk back, y'all. <laughs> and, of course, to be moderated. That's where I'm going to get up there and try to moderate these radical porn people. <laughs> I'm going to be in my white coat. <laughs> and then the next night will be different. It'll be Saturday night at the WeHo, 910 WeHo in West Hollywood. And... We're going to show the film and have a talk back. And then we're going to have a party in which we're going to drink some of our favorite liqueurs like Agua de Bolivia Herbal Coco Leaf Liqueur and Absente Absinthe to pour down your deep throat. <laughs> so it'll be fun both places and if you're listening somewhere that's not LA there might be a stop in your town like if it's San Francisco you could see Annie Sprinkle at the Oasis oh yeah we're going to be in San Francisco on June 8th which is a Thursday at Oasis now Oasis is a club that's owned by Darcy Drollinger who has just been named drag queen laureate of san francisco and that is precedent she's the first drag queen in all the united right. states so she has an actual you know position you know right. as as the drag queen laureate so we will be um at oasis um and there we will be joined by annie sprinkle 
um, who we love so dearly, and um, also Sharon Mitchell, who is a force of nature in her own right. Yeah, now she's these great. are she's our, our our two women that worked um, with with our father um, back during the golden age of porn. So you know they can really speak um, from the first person of what it was like during those times and working together with him and being in, in sex films when they were films with sex in them. Um, also, we mm -hmm. have uh, Richard Pacheco. Oh, oh we hey. love Richard Pacheco. Howie yes. Gordon. Howie. Yes, we'll be, also will be joining us um, not only there, but we'll be in Oakland then on the 11th, and that will be the, the end of our world tour. We're finishing it up on the West Coast, so um, we'll be there. Also, Carol Queen, who's the founder oh, yes. of the uh, Center of Sex and Culture, will be moderating the talks in the All Bay right. Area. Um, and we'll be joined um, in Oakland not only by um, Dr. Mitch and, um, and Richard Pacheco, but also John Martin, who was another actor. Because mm -hmm. I know all of these guys. It's like I went yeah. to school with them. <laughs> we, we graduated together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, Cut the Pentagon says, Nina Hartley was the first porn star I saw when I sneaked the video from my folks' closet. The video kept getting stuck in the VCR when the power went out and almost gave me a heart attack. <laughs> Jeez. Who said this? This is a guy. Cut the Pentagon. Oh, oh yeah, cut the Pentagon. Yeah, go ahead. And Leanne Delgado says... I bet he got super jealous. Guys like that can't take it when we get the attention and the power and they become second fiddle. Yeah, see? She's analyzing Chuck right there. Uh, you can second fiddle me. I oh, love all you're your a voyeur yeah, 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 yeah. in addition to everything else right. you are. And a, and a fine artist and painter, you know, and captain and yeah, all kinds of stuff. But it helps to be a voyeur if you've got a, a girlfriend or wife in porn. Yeah. And a fair-minded person. Fair-minded. Fa Fairly-minded. By the way, Dee's Nuts says, I spank it in every movie theater to honor my boy Pee Wee Herman. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Another Florida man. We supported Pee Wee Herman, too. Absolutely. When that came out. We had an orgasm right in the radio studio. Although that was private, but it was public. It was we, we on the air. Yeah, we supported a lot of things except Trump. Yeah, well, and we've been against a lot of things in addition to Trump, such as Mr. DeSantis' book bans. By the way, just a little commercial for my article, Kinsey defunded, perma-wars mega-funded, books banned, social media censored, and our humanities up in smoke. Now, on Counterpunch and DrSusanBlock.com. And it is true that we seem to be taking a step back we're regressing. We're also going to have another actor in the audience uh, from very straight films. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Barry Miller is going to join us at the WeHo, I think. Mm -hmm. At the WeHo. And so Barry Miller was one of the stars of Saturday Night Fever. He's the friend of John Travolta that jumped off the bridge. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he played Lenny Bruce in the movie of that name. And he played... Jerry Rubin in the Chicago 7 movie, the old one, 
and a lot of other movies. And he's quite a character. He's going to be there tomorrow. He's a big fan of big your dad's. Big fan, yes. And he actually was present at the Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty party. He crashed the party, and a woman came up to him and said, Who are you? Oh. And he said, Well, I just wanted to support what you guys were doing. And he had $10 on him. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he, he says, and I'd like to donate this money. Oh, I didn't hear this whole and, story. Yeah, and then the woman said, oh, yeah, come on in. Okay. And so this was a party to support Deep Throat. Yeah, and basically. And the legal yeah, battles. The legal battles that were going on. Uh, so know. we are excited to step into history. And it's 90% good. There's some bad. There's controversy. There's bad memories. It's, it's bad, all, yeah. always good to acknowledge the bad and try to be better. Speaking of which, I guess you've had some protests and you've had some cold feet with respect to your tour, Gerard? Um, yes, well, I mean... Some of the shows were were hard to get, especially here on the West Coast, yeah. because you know there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding and misinformation about the film, um, especially by people who haven't seen it and aren't familiar with the whole story. Now, you know, we talked about it a little bit more in depth um, tonight, but you know, most people have no idea. They just heard, oh, that that's a, <laughs> yeah. you know, they heard about the the, uh, the book ordeal. They hear Deep Throat and they think, oh, that's the movie where the woman got raped. And, of course, that's not Deep Throat at, no, at all. But, at yes, all. Linda Lovelace's story is a complex one and one that doesn't really, you know, fit in a meme or a tweet. So, you know, there are people that we did have some shows and, and um, it got canceled at the last moment. And, you know, it, it happened several times where, um, you know, the management was very enthusiastic you know, the theater owner and so forth. But then, you know, somebody got triggered and somebody complained or somebody on the board or somebody, you know, that worked at the organization, you know, and, and they said, oh, the, the, you know, this is, is a, a film of abuse. And of course, you know, these are very difficult times that we, we live in. I mean, this is a- They're also uneducated uh, people. Well, what, what we find is that the people with the strongest opinions about the film are the ones that haven't seen it right. at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. Strongest negative opinions. Now, we traveled through Europe. We were in six countries. We did a dozen shows. And people just loved the movie. Yeah, yeah. We never had any any trouble. <laughs> you know, there are people that, that um, you know, ask about Linda, and we're happy to tell, you know, our, give our father's perspective because we were all very close, and we... You know, we knew Linda and Chuck when we were kids, so we can speak, you know, from that experience. Right. But also, we can we can talk from our, our parents' perspective because this wasn't just you know one night. This we grew up with this, so we heard their stories for years and years for our whole lives. So we're able to share that. But we never had any trouble, um, except in Vancouver, um, British Columbia which was a real surprise for me because I'd never been to Canada and I always thought that, you know, Canadians were our, our kinder, gentler, you know, cousins to the north where everybody doesn't have a gun. Yeah, uh, but boy. People think, oh, certain communities have different 
sort of standards, but really there's different people in that community, and some of them might be against this and organize. You know, the funny part is a community, and, and everybody has their own community, but when I look at the statistics of who watches and listens to the shows, they're people from all over the world. Absolutely. And they all have the same problems. Mm-hmm. And they're all looking at different pussies. Red-headed pussies, gray pussies, you know? And dicks. Yeah, and and dicks. And uh, so we're so much alike. We are, and people have issues, and some of those people organize and hold signs, and some of them are on the right. Those are usually religious people, I guess. And some of them are, I wouldn't say on the left, but maybe consider themselves liberal with respect to certain things. Maybe they don't like Donald Trump, but they don't like sex very either. narrow about sex, like the people that defunded the Kinsey Institute. So we're really getting squeezed, we humans, from the left and the right in a way. And this is why it's important to look at history and to look at a film like this that really was so revolutionary. And, and to open the doors. Open the doors. Open the doors to your mind. And no, God. it wasn't perfect in terms of the whole story and every person in the film. And that is something to take into consideration. And yet, real life is just not perfect. There's always huffers. <laughs> There's always someone who's not happy. For um, some reason or another. All right. Well, we've only got five more minutes. Five more minutes. So what do you want to leave us with, Gerard and Christar Damiano? Well, uh, I'll turn it over to my sister. But before, there's just a couple of notes that we, we need to hit before we say goodbye. And that is, first, um, to get all the information about our shows, visit us at DamianoFilms.com. Absolutely. Um, and go to the events page. And, and we're putting all the ticket links and all the details and pictures of the panelists and all the information there. So please come and I hope that everyone will come out and join us in Los Angeles next weekend. Um, as you, you said, to, to see the, the world-renowned sexologist, Dr. Susan Block, trying <laughs> to uh, make sense of, uh, of this group of people on the stage, my sister and I, Nina Hartley and, um, and Herschel Savage. I think I'll have a whip. <laughs> that sounds like it could be fun, especially the next night, which is uh, Saturday the 3rd at 9:10 WeHo. Right. Um, and uh, we do um, social media. So if anybody's out there on Instagram, please come and uh, join us. Follow us at Damian, uh, I'm sorry, Deep Throat Movie. Um, and then we're on Twitter and Facebook at Deep Throat Film. Also on Facebook, uh, Damiano Films, at Damiano Films, where you'll hear not just about Deep Throat, but about some of the other films that our father was much more proud of. I mean, Deep Throat was a joke. It was a fluke. He had no idea um, what was going to happen with it. How much money did it make? Well, that's that's uh, uh, been debated. But back in the 70s, it, they claimed that it had made $600 million dollars. And that was in 1970s money. The last time I read about it, it's almost a billion dollars. Wow. And how much did it cost? Well, it was made for $24,000. Now, our father never saw the profits from that film, which was, you know, something that troubled him to the end of his life and also, you know, caused a lot of, um, you know, like tension and misunderstanding because, you know, people 
all thought we were rich when we were kids because they just read in the paper that you know right. box office you know records were shattered and the highest grossing film and all of this stuff and um you know our, our dad never really saw all the funds Aww. from that um so um so again he went on to make better films uh the devil and miss jones was a film that he was much more proud of, but he felt and later said to me that people weren't ready for a heavy, dark, you know, uh, pondering philosophical take with hardcore sex. <laughs> okay, that was uh, that was hard in 1972, but by 1973, after people had gone to Deep Throat because it was um, very accessible, it was light, it was funny, it was campy, it was cute, and so once I broke the ice. It allowed people or gave them permission to return to the theater and watch films that were a bit more challenging, such as Devil and Miss Jones. Right. You know, is uh, is a bit harder to watch. And when I say harder, because it, it asks a lot more of its audience than Deep Throat did. Um, so if you join us at, at uh, Damiano Films on Facebook and also visit the, the website, you'll start to see about um, his other films. We're restoring all his best work um, to take a complete uh, retrospective of um, his best films on tour and hope to come back to some of the theaters such as the Lamley and other theaters that have been uh, gracious enough to uh, to have us. All right. And so, Christar, how Christar. do you want to leave us? Yes, we're just really, really excited for this show. Yeah. I think our dad would be really proud that we're showing his film in Hollywood. Absolutely. I think he would be really proud of us. He's been guiding us the whole way. By the way, I did invite Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson. Yeah, we, did. we sent them an invitation. Oh, I don't know if they can uh, make it, but wonderful. Jack showed up at a basketball game the other day, so maybe. You never yeah, know. Yeah, he shows up. You uh, never know. That would be wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Susie. Thank you. Really enjoyed this. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking me along on your wild ride yeah. through the tunnel of love. And thank you for being <laughs> on one of the greatest radio stations in this country yes thank world. you for joining Thanks us for on joining fdr the rich nicely but do it and make kink not war make like bonobos not baboons make love oh, not yeah. war celebrate masturbation month this is your last chance i will i will it's the climax this is it and if you don't manage to do it come to deep throw but don't be masturbating in the theater yeah don't do that you know, get a room okay but you can definitely use this as foreplay and as a chance to experience something it's very special, very different than a basketball game, which is fun, very different than a rock concert or a rap concert, which is fun to experience with a lot of people or even a religious experience with a lot of people. But there's something about seeing sex yeah. on the screen with a lot of people that's an amazing, different experience. I call it communal ecstasy. So give it a try, and hopefully we'll see you and enjoy you. So make like bonobos. We didn't talk much about bonobos tonight, but they make love, not war. They have a lot of sex, and they've never been seen killing each other. So make like bonobos, and make love to someone you love tonight, even if that someone is you. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Susie. Goodbye. I love you, and I love you, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
Oh, that was really great. That was an interesting show. Nice show. Need to talk with someone about something you can't talk about with anyone else? You can talk to us. I'm Dr. Susan Block, your mistress of the airwaves. But my day job is director of the Dr. Susan Block Institute for the Erotic Arts and Sciences, specializing in sex therapy over the phone. Anytime you need to talk, whether you need serious psychotherapy or a hot phone sex experience or a combination, my world-renowned telephone sex therapists are just a phone call away. Totally private, absolutely confidential. We listen, talk with you, advise you, role-play for you, fantasize with you, no fantasy is too taboo, and help you with anything from impotence to exhibitionism, fears to desires, fetishes to marriages. For more information, call us at 213-291-9497. That's 213-291-9497 anytime you need to talk. You're listening to Radio Suzy One on the World Wide Web.